0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Hardcast with yours, Tristan Sean Gregson, and my lovely co host, Robert Martin. He's out there somewhere. He's probably reading deep in show notes, getting ready for this week. Robert, are you out there?
1: I am here, sir.
0: Okay. Uh, maybe my typeface is a little bit larger today, but it looks like we have quite a, quite a bit of information to go over this week. Yeah, we've
1: had, uh, there were plenty of articles that came up this week, and a lot of stuff coming from Denver, as we kind of expected. Um, let's go right away to LSV's article and the whole gruesome encore joke. Uh, this became a kind of a, a whole running story when it came to Grand Prix Denver and stuff like that. It, it,
0: was, it was something that was in full force by the time he got there. Again, uh, the joke was what, what seemed like three or four gruesome weeks old by the time Luis got to uh, the great state of Colorado, but him, him and the playgroup were steeped in this inside joke, which is now no longer an inside joke, but is right out there in the public. The one thing
1: about it was is that uh, Webb again for the personality he came through with birthday gifts for LSV, uh, including a birthday gift
0: that he's actually carrying in his wallet right now, which is uh, a, that. See so that one? That one I don't know about. You have to fill fill in the, the listeners as well as myself. Um, Webb gave.
1: Uh, LSV for his birthday a present, he opened it up, and it was a stack of gruesome encores.
0: Yeah, I, I heard something similar. I heard Josh uh, kind of got him with the double whammy, because he gave him a 400-count a box, he opened up, and it was gruesome encores, and then Josh was like, oh, no, that's not your real gift. But, you know, it was haha the joke. He gave him another, and it was, another, again, another similar box. So LSV is currently carrying one gruesome
1: encore in his wallet. As of right and, uh,
0: now. Those things have, uh, you, know, you know, a little, little peek in the financial watch. That card has definitely increased in value solely thanks to Luis Scott Vargas. Uh, well, I think the fact he owns about 8,000 of them right
1: now, he might be the sole owner yeah, of Yeah,
0: he has quite a, quite a collection, I'm not going to lie. I Actually, uh really want to buy those back from him because we've uh, already had multiple inquiries for people that are interested in buying uh, a great, great sum of groups to play jokes with their old friends. Well, he also in his article, everybody's
1: talking about the sort of feast of famine right now, and how powerful it is, and he describes it in a fairies build and a uh, blue white uh, blue white build, which is really interesting because what he does is especially in the fairies build, he has it in there. I'm guessing in the case of potentially he moves. Um, spell pierces to the sideboard and puts those in instead in the main
0: deck. If now, it's the same list I'm familiar with from last week, he had uh, two copies of Sword of Feast and Fam in main deck. Correct, sir. Yeah, and, yeah. It's uh, it extended is is obviously even sweeter with that card than in standard because since mutable only costs one mana to activate, happens to be a, a a man land that kind of sits innocuously on the table the entire time. And the sword only costs two to equip. If you have four lands in play, you know, like kind of the um, one of the initial things about equipment is, you know, you always say, oh, you have to have a creature in play. Uh, equip cost is something that is going to vary on the on the quality of a card like that. So you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have an inherent advantage over uh, you know, creature enchantments or these things that like you know might boost your creature one or another. But uh, the sword mutable interaction means that. All you have to do is have four lands in play, one of them being mutable, and all of a sudden you can just kind of get in for free on a hit when the when the situation or time is right. And uh, yeah, it's it's just it's free. It's four points of damage. It's your opponent discards a card, and it's like nothing happened. It's all your lands on tap, including the Well,
1: it's and then he also has a a blue white uh, build with uh, Kitchen Sphinx and Mull Drifter and Stoneforge Mystic. The fun thing about this deck is is he combines. Cryptic Command, Day of Judgment, Path to Exile. I mean, Spell Pierce. He's got like tons and tons and tons and tons of removal on this deck. But the fun thing is, I think on the sideboard that I I, I may not have seen as much of lately is he has two Linvalas on the sideboard,
0: and I it like that like card. Be, it seems like he would be pretty good, and in, and uh, in a lot of certain a lot more circumstances than extended in Sarah right now.
1: Yeah, well, I kind of like that. It was, it was a again, it was another fascinating deck that that you can use in the extended season. Um, and like I said, the gruesome encore joke. I don't, you know what? I honestly don't think that's going to grow old anytime soon, personally. But that's just me. Well,
0: uh, see, the, the, the beauty of it is, is when it does grow old and no one likes it anymore, it just becomes more of a gruesome encore. Oh, and there you have it. That is Luis's. I guess, perpetual motion machine of terrible pun. (laughs) Well, Kyle this week, who uh,
1: was supposed to be on Minimagic this week, but we had a scheduling issue, uh, talks about um, Paris' original uh, blue-black build and his updated one that he would run at standard events with text versus the best best text. Considering the fact that right now it's cargo, and, you know it seems like everything else, to have a blue-black build that he still really believes in, and he gives Adam Yurtrek credit for it. There are some cards in there I really like. He mentions, he has on the sideboard a Mimic Vat and a Clone, which I think is interesting tech, because Clone, I think, is an underused card, in my opinion. A lot of people don't like it, but Clone can be very powerful if he gets the cards out that he needs to get out in this game to play.
0: Well, in a, uh, in a directly post-Worlds metagame, uh, Clone was seemingly right on the verge of kind of, I don't want to say breaking out, but making a very solid appearance in the Standard, uh, with so many different Titans running around doing what they do between Primeval, Frost, uh, obviously Grave, and even Inferno, and, you know, uh, Sun kind of out there on the outskirts, but not necessarily a zero of in all of the decks, um... Clone kind of kind of had an advantage I mean not only could you capitalize on whatever your opponent played via Titan, but you could also kind of copy your own Titan and play at at such a sweet discount so uh, only only the four mana investment if your opponent goes grave Titan on six you have six mana you can clone it for only four and still have mana leak open uh, was pretty sweet and uh similarly now I mean you've got a, still a lot of coming into the play triggers uh it it can still do a lot. I mean, you can you can make a Stoneforge Mystic. It's at the very worst, it seems like, in Standard right now. So, uh... He also... Talented.
1: Yeah, he also... uh Changes the changes he makes into his other deck, too, is he puts in uh uh two Ends of Royals for Sword of Feast and Famine as his way to counter it, to be able to get it's it It's an interesting
0: choice. Um You know, I, I think one of the things that Blue-Black really still has going for it that, uh makes it a contender, and, and I just kind of want to squeeze black mana sources into my uh, blue-white deck is the fact that you have access to Inquisition of Kozilek. So, obviously, Into the Royal isn't exactly the best stop to sort of feast and famine all on its own because your opponent has the opportunity to kind of Stoneforge Mystic get back into play you will often have the opportunity to strip cards from your opponent's hand with uh, Inquisition of Kozilek, and Into the Royal kind of goes in conjunction with that card. Yes, and he has that combination of four of the
1: uh, Kozileks and two of the Into the Royals, which, again, is a great combination when you pop that off correctly. The um, Andrew writes about the cards you need to add uh, to your cube with suggestions on cards to remove from the cube. Another interesting article again about cubed cubes I I, th- I think
0: this is uh, this was in in, in reference to Mirrod and Besiege specifically. Yes. Are you, are you correct? Yes, exactly. He recommends every zenith
1: and the card the couple of cards I thought were interesting that he had added to the cube was Verdian Embassy, uh Praetor's Council, and a quarter paladin he really liked that card and thought it would fit well in the cube. Not surprising he put I mean, everything in it, there. I
0: think it's pretty pretty universal that uh, people are a Quarter Paladin fans. I mean, I was one of those people where uh, Blade of the Sixth Pride was kind of on the fence for me and mine, and I don't currently run it. But uh, I think a Quarter Paladin is just the right kind of upgrade where uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to have it in my cube and uh, think that it can do a lot for the aggressive white strategies.
1: Okay. Well, Conley this week, Uh, runs a list of cards that should be broken and with ideas and deck lists on both standard and extended on how to break them. He really likes the... uh, He really likes Lead the Stampede. And he has a test deck he designed. Again, it looks a lot like the Necrotic Ooze deck he had. He runs hedron Crabs, Renegade Doppelganger. That seems to be like his card. He's like attached to the hip of that
0: card. I am interested to hear exactly how the Lead the Stampedes kind of interact with the two cards you mentioned above, but it doesn't oh. it doesn't seem like a natural interaction there at first.
1: He's got four Fauna Shamans, four Vengevines, four Lead the Stampedes, four Squadron Hawks, one Sphinx of the Lost Truth, two Stormforge Mystics, one Sun Titan, and four birds of paradise. As his main deck creatures, yeah, it's an interesting deck when you put it together. Again, he said this is all experimental, and the you know it's up to you to try it out and see how it goes. He doesn't have a sideboard for it. He also has he also likes Hero of the Bladehold for a White Weenie in, ex, in extended, uh, where he runs Step Links, Student of Warfare. There's your Quarter Paladin, um, Hero of the Bladehold, Emory Angel, a Johnny Goldmane for honor of the pure, uh, one of the sword feast and famine, uh, one born hoarder. The card I like he put in there because of the fact of the amount of cards he'll be uh, lands he'll be cycling through is he has one adventuring gear in there. Huh? You put an adventuring That's gear in a. Put it Kind of the, d-
0: di- di- ver- the uh, stone forge mystic package a little bit more.
1: Yeah, you put that on a step links, and how big can a step links get? That's...
0: Yeah, that's some pretty interesting stuff out of Connolly. I know he is a huge fan of uh, the card, Honor of the Pure, and uh, sometimes you forget that the Renegade Doppelganger and Hedron Crap are still in the standard environment. Uh, the uh, The old kind of dredge of vine, I guess you still call it, deck, um, I mean, it only really lost Extractor Demon from the old incarnation. I, mean, I guess you lost Merfolk Looter too, but I don't think that was as much of an impact. So I think there's definitely still builds for that out there. And, uh, again, Connolly's my man to make that happen.
1: Well, and then the other card he likes using an Extended is Icker Wellspring, which, as we know because of Grand Prix Denver, very powerful in Limited. But what he uses it with is a Time Sieve uh, Tezzeret Agent Ebola deck that involves Howling Mines.
0: Also also pretty popular in um, in what I've read recently. Uh, you haven't seen a whole lot of results, including Time Sieve, but it is all a buzz right now. It's kind of that card that everyone kind of expects to be this new, amazing deck in the extended format. I mean, you've got the new tool of Icar Spring, Obviously, Thopter Assembly can kind of do things we haven't been able to do before with the deck. We just, I just, you know, you haven't seen a result yet. You haven't seen a list from somebody that uh, you, know, you kind of universally trust. So it's still kind of on the outside a little bit, but um, it's all the water-cooler talk of Magic right now is a new Time Sieve deck.
1: Mm-hmm. Antoine Ruel with an honest look into his own magic career, uh, and a blue-white deck a draft deck that he did in Paris. Interesting article on his case because, you know, he pretty much explains where he's at as far as what's going on with magic. Very, very honest, very open about it, which is different because a lot of times you would think someone, you know, a lot of times well, magic's my life, but it's. It was good. It was a great article on him, just as a retrospective article, almost like one of those articles that Conley writes, where he goes into more of the, you know, what's going on with me kind of article. So I kind of like that one.
0: Um, Matt, Definitely a different take for what, I'm, for what I'm used to reading from Magic Authors.
1: Um, Matt Nass, uh, part two of Denver, uh, and how critical it meant to him to get that last point to qualify uh, for... Uh, the worlds is a level pro four for Nagoya and in Philadelphia, and the road to literally get there where it was down to the last game
0: that that has been Matt Nass for pretty much the last oh it, it seems like a year, but uh, I guess more realistically, it's been about six months where he's been trying so hard just to get those last few points he needs to make sure that he can participate in all the major events for two thousand and eleven. um uh, so glad to hear he did it. So sad to hear it wasn't about elves or that they weren't involved in the process. But ultimately, uh, he got there, and that's what mattered. So we'll look forward to more exciting tournament results from not only those Pro Tour formats, but Nationals and Worlds where uh I, I have to assume he'll be casting at least one Elvish Arch Druid. I mean, not even assuming. He, he'll definitely cast at least one. And it's really a question is how many more from there.
1: And how much mana will he get from it when he taps it for mana? (laughs) Uh, Adam Barnello, who was on Men Magic this week, had a fun interview with him, uh, going into a lot about who he is, uh, a lot about the engineering thing, uh, his his website, all sorts of fun stuff, and and a lot of talk about legacy. Uh, Goes through four legacy decks, decks that could have a large impact this weekend, and the fact that he's going to be at the Star City Games event, uh, Legacy event in Edison, New Jersey this weekend. He will be there, so if you you want to know where your uh, Channel Fireball pros are going to be, one of them will be at Edison, New Jersey, playing Legacy this
0: weekend. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just slip a couple of plugs into this article tagline. Um, obviously, one for Adam and the fact you can find him in New Jersey this weekend for Legacy, so pick his brain on that format, because that is something that he uh, has far more information on than someone like myself. And uh, one more plug Plug, sorry, plague, that's interesting, and I wouldn't want that for you guys. But one more plug for the Men of Magic interview series, featured not only on uh, mdgcast.com, but also channelfireball.com. I'm kind of of assuming you're going to have a string of interviews with uh, Channel Fireball members in the near future. It's kind of what it seems like, since you're kicking off here with Adam. Yeah, we had uh, Adam. Uh, Kyle had to reschedule.
1: Uh, We have Tom Martell coming up and then uh the interview one of the interviews I'm looking forward to is if we can get the time zones right, we found out that Paulo is five time zones off
0: <laughs> just, uh, all you got all you know, all you and Chris have to do is just take a day off of work, you know <laughs> go home, have a nice lunch, call Paulo, and make it happen. <laughs> well,
1: we will figure that out because uh like I said he's uh just from talking to him in our conversations, he should be a A fun interview, needless to say. Um, Cleve describes a a Power Fairies deck with a new tech, a blue-white-green deck, which is interesting because it abuses some past tech with Stoneforge Mystic, and a 3-1 Moto deck that uses that same uh, blue-white-green combination uh, with a Legacy deck that uses Dark Confident and Putrid Imp along with other cards to make it a fascinating deck. What I'm surprised with is... This is the first I've really heard of the white, blue, green deck. Uh, we're
0: talking we're talking legacy format here, correct?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Yes. Um, what, what exactly is this, how does it, this band deck differ? I mean, there's there's fish decks that are kind of the band colors, there's kind of just a... Uh,
1: but well, now we're using Stoneforge
0: of, um, Mystic. Um, those three colors, I mean, what makes this deck stand out a little bit different? Stoneforge Mystic. I mean,
1: I've never Once, seen and it played. It's
0: ending formats, a card that uh, just seems to be getting better and better, and it's it's no coincidence that obviously more equipment gets printed it gets better, but it's kind of having its time right now and finding its way into all formats with different decks and doing different things.
1: So how much... We talked about it last week, to go off-subject, because we talked about it last week, with it now extending backwards into other formats, is the $20 ceiling... Uh, literally high enough or could it go higher now?
0: Uh, I think the question really to ask there is it still a ceiling? Um I think I think it is in the foreseeable future. Uh again, I think there are multiple factors contributing to the fact that this is a twenty plus color, twenty plus dollar card as we speak right now. Um if that's gonna be something that's going to kind of extend to use a Louise style pun, passing it's popularity in standard right now. is still something that we're going to need more time to really, uh, see or foresee. But, um, you know, like in the next four or five months, let's say, let's say that there isn't a lot of change to the standard environment. Let's say that people kind of tweak decks that run Stoneforge Mystic, but they're still very popular and not necessarily dominant, but, uh, prevalent in standard. And at the same time, you see Stoneforge ex- extend further back into more competitive events that would, you know, would run it, then it might go a little bit higher. But I think that that, again, is, we would take kind of all those things working together to really make this card go any higher than it is now. Uh, again, I think you can kind of use Noble Hierarch as, uh, as kind of a key for how this card, this card should probably play out. Again, there are a lot more copies of Forge Mystic in standard right now than there were copies of Noble Hierarch where Noble Hierarch was being played the most. So there is a little bit of a difference there. But when everything kind of boils down, you know, you see Noble Hierarch a little bit in Extended, you see Noble Hierarch a little bit in Legacy, you even see Noble Hierarch once in a while in Vintage and some fish decks. Uh, as we're stoned for, will probably be something very similar in the long mm-hmm. run.
1: And Josh this week goes through Jerry T's Red call Go deck, I guess or Red call Blade deck, I guess you want to call it. Uh, and also Michael Potsky's uh, Blue White that has the look of a fish deck. And a big blue-white deck with Bane Slayers and Sun Titan in the main deck. Uh, what did you think about this weekend with the fact of Stoneforge Mystic, uh, not Stoneforge Mystic, but um, Cunning Spark Mage being splashed in the Caw uh, Go deck or Caw Blade deck?
0: Well, it wasn't so much uh, Cunning Spark Mage as fact, as fact that it was red. Um, Again, uh, you know, I'm not one to get any credit, take any credit, or assume any credit, but Saturday I was at a PTQ in Santa Clara, kind of stuck there, no Internet access, and kind of sitting there brainstorming how the mobile you know, Fireball 5K was going to go the next weekend. And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, you know, Cobblade is going to be a very popular deck, but you obviously need something to kind of go over the top. And red seemed like such a an obvious answer. I, I mean, I joked to a lot of people, I was like, you know, why couldn't a Johnny Vengeance just still be in standard right now? You kind of have that All-American Control-style deck that Luis had, and you kind of meld it with the current cargo deck. So in my, in my mind, I was like, you know, red's going to be pretty important. You're probably going to want Lightning Bolts. I mean, who knows? You might even get crazy enough to play a card like Manic Vandal, but you don't necessarily need something like that. But red seems like an obvious inclusion uh, in that deck right now moving forward because blue-white itself is obviously going to get tripped up by blue-white, splashing you know, red, black, or even green, any of those third colors, is going to add more to the equation and probably break open the mirror match. And sure enough, Jerry goes and and uh, wins the 5K doing exactly that. And obviously, uh, his expertise of the format and the deck go a long way because he made some cuts that were mildly unorthodox in order to to count numbers and spells and played some you know played some lightning bolts, played some some more red right out of the sideboard, and obviously made it work exactly how he needed it to in order to not only win those mirror matches but can s- still keep. What really the core of the deck does, doing it and making it work. So I, I think that uh, from here forward, you know, kind of have that same feeling where it's like, well, you know, now is now Cobblade kind of evolved to be a three color deck? Do you have to play red? Are you going to get more consistency going black to blue, white, and playing more counter magic? Have you kind of lost the, the trick of, well, you're only playing four or five counter spells main deck, but everyone's going to play around them like you have more, so you have an advantage there? Can you switch the red for black? You know, black obviously gives you an Inquisition, but does it give you much more. Is that something worth doing? It's going to be very interesting to see where that kind of blue-white shell goes moving forward. But I think Jerry took the not not I mean like not just the first step, but several steps forward by creating the deck that he used to to win the five or the I guess not the five K the Sarsa City Open last weekend.
1: It was the coverage on that was pretty amazing when it just like they had been they had been tipped. That he had red in the deck, so when he did his when they started doing his feature matches, that they knew what was coming with it, and it was interesting just how to see how unprepared the people were really for it, and that's the advantage of doing it right now and having that tech right now. But like you said, now is it time to switch out the red, go to the black, etc. I mean, you know, even green, like you said, is is it a possibility that this deck just evolves in different directions? Because, well,
0: again, with blue-white, all three of the remaining colors are complements to that color combination right now in standard. I mean, obviously when you're talking blue-white, red is the enemy of both, but you have both fetch lands right now, so that's a huge advantage. Additionally, when you're playing green or black, you have an ally and an enemy in both, in both respects. So it, it actually works out really well. Um, and, and again, it's, it's kind of picking and choosing which tools are going to be most effective. You know, is it going to be some kind of combinations of nature's claims, acidic slimes? Is it going to be some kind of combination of Inquisition of Kozileks and Doomblades? Or, you know, like, what really is going to be the best way to kind of take this overpowering mold of Squadron Hawk, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, and the Stoneforge Mystic package in conjunction with Blue Counter Magic and Jason Mindsculptor to be able to kind of beat, all over the field without diluting your deck too much, and all of a sudden you just start losing to things you used to be able to beat with the old blue-white deck.
1: Well, and I, and I get this from you. Uh, Webb wrote an article this week about how to draft and not merit and beseech and not fall prey to taking the automatic windmill slam pick and what it means to actually pick the right card uh, by making a correct pick. He goes through his draft and what his deck looked like, and i went to another 3-0, And pretty much, if you could pick his mind before a draft, I mean, I would say, safely to say, you're pretty assured of winning it if you did it online with him, sitting behind you, you know, going through your picks one by one. Uh, I know
0: I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Webb is the best Magic player to not really say much about Magic right now. He is the guy that always stands behind Luis and I and tells us what we should have done or where we should go or what we should have picked and why and... Um, dissecting his own strategy is a unique experience and his his paths to victory are usually not the most orthodox one not to say that that's right or wrong but he can definitely find wins in ways that a lot of other players can't and uh, plays in such a tight analytical just like you know problem solving fashion that uh, I really admire what he does and think that uh, if I had the patience I'd read every line he writes every week
1: he has he has such, like you said, he has such the ability to, to look at cards and see what they actually mean. And there were times when I was reading the article that your your mind instantly gravitates towards a card, and then he explains why, no, you actually need to take this one. So it, it was a lot of fun, and, I, and I, in a great article. Like you said, it's definitely one. If you want to draft Mirrod and Besiege online, it's, this is the way to go.
0: So so far, that kind of sounds like my pick for the go back and read it of the week for for me personally. If there was, if I only had time to read one article in the week that I missed, this uh, this would be the one.
1: Yeah, and pretty much that would be a safe idea. Uh, Paulo goes through his drafts and seal pools for GP Denver and talks about a night out with the rest of the pros at GP Denver on Sunday night, where they went karaoke.
0: Now the question is, did they get Paulo to sing karaoke? He didn't say that. You have to assume so, and if you can't assume so, you just have to picture it in your mind. Oh. And I challenge our listeners to take all of his draft videos and make some kind of sweet Paulo mashup, <laughs> preferably to some kind of European or even Brazilian techno music, where he's saying something hilarious because I know it's out there. Um, again, that that's that's challenge mode for this week. If you could take Paulo's content and create something hilarious, because I love the guy, but uh, you know how I feel about his English.
1: Yes. <laughs> Alexander goes through the three levels of deck resistance and shows you how the design and the cards to make it so. Uh, a lot of people make decks that once their first win condition fails, the deck fails. He shows how you can make better decks that are able to withstand that first win condition removal. To be able to actually design better decks and win in matches. Which I thought was great because in his case... It's, you're looking at it going, oh yeah, I'm set up for this win condition, and then, oh wait, it's now gone. And you you don't plan out your deck building well, because you're so focused typically on the one win condition, it says you need to make sure that the deck is able to handle that first one to be able to go to the alternative win condition.
0: a very key skill in uh, deck building, and definitely a uh, lesson a lot of aspiring deck builders need to go through, because... Usually, um, a deck will start with an idea, a plan, something you want to do that's going to be, it's going to win the game or create a, a combination of or a situation that's seemingly the win. But uh, you know, a lot of the resiliency or a lot of what makes a great deck or a great deck builder is the ability to kind of adapt and create more and be able to give your deck depth. I mean, I, I can think of many games that I won somehow in conjunction with attacking with the Birds of Paradise that I had never planned on or determining how many cards were left in my opponent's library and figuring out the best way to make sure that he eventually had zero. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a pretty key concept for uh, people that want to build their own decks.
1: In the last article of this week, uh, Chaz talks about the aspects of trading, uh, including a, uh, a trade that he pulled off Well, it was more of a purchase that... I don't know if I would have the stones to do what he did, but he basically went out and bought a power, some power from this guy, literally in the middle of the night, you know, in a lit street corner. I mean, it, it, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating article to read just to see the effort he went through to get to it, and. You know, I, I don't imagine going out and buying $900 worth of cards at 11.30 at night, uh, you know, in a parking lot. <laughs> it,
0: it, sounds like a, it sounds like a combination of uh, those awkward late-night Craigslist interaction stories. And it also reminds me of uh, actually when, like, the PS3 was released, and there were stories of, like, not even kids, but, like, grown men being ripped off by groups of men in, like, you know, convenience store parking lots where they met up to, like, sell PS3s, and instead they were just bruised, beaten, and, and taken advantage of. Um, you know, nowadays, it, everyone kind of dreams they're going to go to that garage sale, they're going to go to that uh, swap meet, that, you know, comic book store that doesn't know what they have, and they're just going to find this, you know, unopened box of unlimited booster packs, or they're going to find, you know, just a box 800-count box of Magic cards with power in it that no one has any idea what they're worth, and... You know, while, while I think that's really kind of a pipe dream in this day and age, I, I definitely think that there are people out there. If you kind of troll Craigslist enough, to to kind of find those opportunities to pick up stuff like that, and obviously, Chaz kind of tells you at what lengths someone is willing to go to in order to get that kind of deal.
1: It, it basically that's what got him started because of the profit he made out of it. It got him started on this whole process of being able to do it better. So it does show that you can go to some tremendous depths to get it, but. Not exactly the way I would want to do it. Somehow, going to a channelfireball.com and buying my cards from a reputable dealer seems a lot safer, if you ask
0: Well, me. Uh, you know, obviously you have the luxury of buying your Black Lotuses on our website at 3 a.m. Eastern, with or without pants. That's your choice. You know you're going to get your package insured. You know you're going you're to get your card. Or, you know, so maybe a fifth, a sixth, or who knows, maybe one of these pipe dreams, a tenth of the price. You to end up outside of a Chevron at three in the morning, talking to some interesting gentlemen, while you're trying not to fan your cash.
1: Not exactly the way I want to do it again.
0: <laughs> let's go to. You uh, some- know, I, to, to me, it's all about having enough friends. Every, every time I, I, you know, w- would find a deal like that, it's always like, "Hey, you guys, uh, interested in some free in and out burger? All I got to do is drive with me to a Rinda or something." <laughs> uh, let's go to the product preview this week. What do you have? What's new this week? Uh, we've got a new look for Deck Builders Toolkits, actually, for those of you that haven't seen. Um, not only is the box kind of getting a makeover, which is the thing we can all see on the outside, but the inside is kind of getting the update that, uh, in many ways it's kind of needed. Um, you know, I I would assume that a lot of people out there don't really follow uh, a product like Deck Builders Toolkits. I mean, uh, I give you a little background on it when it first came out. Obviously, everything in it was very current. Uh, the kind of the prepackaged cards were all from uh, M10 era. And as time wore on, Wizards was smart enough in their printing that they updated the booster packs inside. You didn't just get, like, I remember when it first came out, you got a Conflux booster pack, and that, and that quickly became obsolete. But um, they kept updating the booster packs inside to be Type 2 current, but the kind of semi-sorted prepackaged bundles of cards were not updated. So if you were to open a Deck Builder's Toolkit of the most recent printing, you'd still be getting a lot of M10 commons and uncommons that may or may not still be legal in Type 2, which isn't necessarily the target audience for this product, but I think it's kind of important when trying to start people on a new collection that if you're going to start building constructed decks, you want them to be with Type 2 cards. Um, you know, From there, i got to say I'm a huge fan of the Deck Builder's Toolkit. I think that the price point for this product is awesome. You get four booster packs, you get... 100 basic land, which a lot of players could need these days, as well as very playable commons and uncommons, usually for just $20. I know on our website that's what we sell them for. The the box that comes with it is not only durable, but has sweet artwork on it. You want to keep it. You want to put stuff with it. Um, And over the top, the best part for me about this product, and the thing that makes me keep opening them, is I absolutely love Deck Builders Challenge. Um, You can either do it heads-up, or if you want to go the extra mile and kind of cut down on your costs, you can do it uh, 2v2. And all you got to do is each player, in a a heads-up, each player opens one, builds a 60-card deck, and they face off. Otherwise, you can do it two-headed giant-style, and you build two 40-card decks. And I have had a lot of fun challenging people I know, including Luis, to the Deck Builders Challenge. Um, It is a lot of fun. I think Lifetime, I'm like 9 and one and, uh, you know, depending on what you guys play for, somebody can block away with a lot of cards. It's, uh, it's great. So, with the new Deck Builders Toolkit, not only is the artwork updated, the prepackaged cards inside are going to be all type 2 current again. I have to assume the booster packs are going to be in the same fashion. Uh, it's a great product for new players trying to start. It's a great gift for people you want to get more interested in magic, who are on the fringe about it, who, are, you know, or maybe want to play, but don't know where to get started. They're a lot more fun than intro decks, in my opinion, but you can kind of build your own stuff, which, when I started playing the game, you know there, there weren't intro decks. You kind of you have to go through the whole experience of starting a collection, building a deck uh, from the ground up. And I think that that uh, you kind of capture that again with the deck builder's toolkit.
1: Now, are you trying to get this sanctioned now since you're nine and one in that lifetime? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I think that the, you know I, I've joked that at our store at the Channel Fireball uh, retail location, we could have a deck builder challenge day. And uh, with this new product update and release, you know we, we might put that on our calendar. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I, I would we would it be sweet to be like you know, uh, Wizards makes the pros go to Grand Prix that are corset based. I think it'd be hilarious if you went to a Grand Prix and it was the Deck Builders Toolkit Grand Prix. Um, again, like I, I really recommend that you grab a friend, you grab a couple of friends, and you pick up this product and do it. Because it is it is so much fun. Just you know, heads up, like your your pool is large enough. You're like you're you're in a, an instant collection, just as they said. You have a lot of stuff to choose from. It's not hard to make a sixty card deck. You have options. They talk about the different art types of cards you kind of could open and directions you could go, and it's it's a ton of fun.
1: Well, you have five buys and sells for the week, and I actually have a couple of them that I'm curious why they're going in the direction they're going.
0: So. Well, why don't, why don't you leave this conversation then and ask away, sir? Okay. You have Jace the Mind Sculptor going down. I do have Jace the Mind Sculptor going down, uh, mostly out of the fact that it's reality. Um, I called it going down early, and I'm not going to like try to gloat and say I'm right, and, you know, ha, ha, ha. Um, It's not come down to the level I said it will eventually, not even eventually, but come to in what I think is a reasonable future. But pre Paris. Jace was starting to fall. It was one of those things where it's like, well, the format looks a lot faster. All these battle cry guys. So much quick stuff. Contested War Zones. Yada, yada, yada. It didn't happen. We saw Tezzeret decks that played Jace. We saw Blue-White decks that played Jace. We saw Jace. Then he ballooned yet again. Like, he broke the $100 mark, which I I don't feel good about. I I didn't like the fact that he was near there ever. Like, I don't think it's good for the game that it goes around that area. So... Steam hit 105 Steam hit 110 for the week or so after. Really kind of hurt. But yet again, he's coming back to reality. Um, we've already, you know, Channel Fireball currently has him listed at 99.99. dollars uh, I think he still has room to go back down to pre-Paris prices right around the $90 range. Um, you know, obviously still a good card. Obviously still, you know, a four of them the best, quote-unquote, deck and standard. Um but, again, you know, the format is diverse. There's plenty of other stuff to play. It's not the Jace show like it was a while ago, era. you know, era Turboland. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, don't don't go over the top Thing and this guy is amazing. You need to trade for him. Although, at this stage in his lifespan, I can't think of a whole lot of people being like, okay, now I need to get Jace. <laughs> like, all right, now I'll buy them. But, uh, you know, there's something to keep in mind with the next month or so moving forward as far as standard prices. Uh,
1: the only reason why I think it would still like you said, you described it being in the decks that are still popular right now, that it's still there. And I guess your theory of the fact that it does have room to go down because of the bubble went up, so you figure you said about 90 will be about the stable price pretty much, you think? so? I'd gone? really
0: like to think in the very foreseeable future, assuming that we don't see a, a considerable number of results leading into Nationals qualifiers that would dictate Jace being the most dominant card and standard he will continue to drop. I mean, you know, standard cards on their way out, you know, like the old sets, obviously have a tendency to lower themselves in price. But Jace is one of the, Jace is kind of like the one card that's kind of the, well not, not like, it, it's, it's a different exception where it kind of ballooned to a price so high that we've never seen before in a card in standard, where it has so much room to maneuver before it leaves a standard environment. And I, I picture so many more people just being fed up with it, over it, interested in playing the new stuff, um, willing to sell at a high price, trying to cash out on those cards. As Zendikar is leaving standard before it actually leaves, That you're going to see this card drop in price earlier than if, okay, all of a sudden, you know, the first of the next block comes out, all right, there's a big shift in the old block cards. I mean, uh, Elspeth Knight Aaron is a great example of something you can look at in the more recent past, to how that card worked. Um, it, it dropped off prematurely because there was a dual deck coming out. So a lot of people were like, well, you know, I can buy this dual deck for $20. Why would my Elspeth be worth 25 uh, or 30 or 35 at the most? And you, you really saw that card kind of fall off a lot sooner. So I think Jace is going to be something similar, not, not as much because they're going to print it again, but as much because people want to cash out on them because they think they're done playing them.
1: And the, I'm going to go on a card you have going up. Intuition
0: isn't Intuition already at forty five dollars? No, no, Intuition uh, currently at Channel firewall for like I think nineteen, eighteen, or nineteen ninety nine. All right, that. Right, uh, okay. There's there's the Judge promo Intuition. Those oh, the about- Judge
1: promo, yeah, yeah, that one.
0: Um, I- Intuition. So I've got I've got a couple of cards here. Intuition, Buried Alive are both on their way up because Vengevine is pretty mad that his good buddy Survival the Fittest has been removed from the Legacy format. So new ways to make Vengevine happen is kind of what we've been seeing quietly happening in Legacy recently. Obviously, Matt Nass has uh, already written an article in the recent past about elves, including Intuition and Vengevines and Brainstorms and some blue cards. And Intuition is a card that's kind of leading the way in the Legacy format is to kind of circumventing Survival of the Fittest, as well as doing plenty of other things. I mean, Intuition is an excellent card. The fact that it's a blue tutor, instant speed, uh, we've lost Mystical Tutor. You're, you're kind of doing similar things to what you did before in the format. You're doing new and different things again, getting three Vengevines, which a card like Mystical Tutor couldn't do in the past. Uh, it's a good card. It can do a lot of diverse and different things, and it's going up.
1: All right. You also have, you also have, you said Buried Alive going up, um, Tarmogar going up again.
0: Yes, yes. Now, It was but a year ago that Tarmogoyf kind of magically and awkwardly made his way to a $100 bill for the what seemed like the brief month or so. And that was entirely and directly related to it being powerful and extended, although it can't block a 2020 indestructible flying creature, so I don't really know why it reached that plateau. But uh, Tarmogoyf took a a lot of heat because it wasn't that good in the format. Extended got changed. People thought that, you know... It's in some legacy decks, but you've got these reanimator decks in legacy. You've got these uh, merfolk decks in legacy. These goblin decks in legacy. These enchantress decks. Like there's so much other stuff going on. You, 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 you know, Goyf isn't the dominant force that he used to be, and he's slowly creeping his way back up. It's been a couple of months where Tarmogoyf has steadily been moving, and and the trend appears to continue again with a, with a more diverse legacy format where we've. Uh, lost survival the fittest um, counterbalance decks in their various forms creature decks in their various forms uh, it, it's it's still got room to grow I think it's currently at uh, the 35 40 range and it's definitely on the way up okay
1: and then the one card you had on the list that kind of got me uh, was Sierra Sancta
0: naturally like, seems you know it, in many ways it seems like the obvious answer it seems like a card that uh why wouldn't it be worth considerably more than it is um Gaea's Cradle uh, again you know Matt Nash talking legacy talking elves is one of those cards where it's like it generates a ton of mana it's really good Matt talked about wanting to play six of them in his legacy deck it's that powerful Talarian Academy we all know the power of um still holding strong at $40 despite the fact that it's a restricted in vintage, it's banned in legacy, and it's banned in the commander format. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, all these well not all these, the the kind of the three corners of the Urza Block Super Mana Production lands, they should all be worth a lot. They all have incredibly powerful effects. And with recent legacy tournament results, you know, Enchantress has always kind of been a deck, it's always kind of been around. But uh, Sarah Sanctum, it was like a ten dollar card for a really long time. It had a hard time kind of breaking the ten dollar mold. Make like, sure but, you know get up to like eleven or twelve and kind of come back down. It was no one playing in a tournament? But it is definitely on the rise. Um, uh, there's, I mean, there's no reason this card couldn't be worth three quarters the value of a Telerian Academy or a uh, a Gaea's Cradle. Obviously, those those requirements being artifact and creatures are. Easier to come by in the Eternal formats than Enchantments. Enchantments is considerably more linear. But again, the, the effect is so powerful, I don't see a reason why this couldn't be a, a $30 rare in in the blink of an eye.
1: You also have cards going down because of the extended season going away slowly? Uh,
0: uh, definitely. there are, There are a couple obvious ones on the downswing. Prismatic Omen and Wargate, kind of in conjunction, are both coming off of the plateau they were both on. Um, Prismatic Omen kind of topping out at about $20, which is pretty incredible to think. I mean, I, I remember the pre-release release events for that set, being happy to trade them to kids for a couple of dollars because they wanted to play with them. Um, <clears throat> currently, Prismatic Omen's at 10 You know, is Valkyrie going to be a deck next season in a year? Possibly. Like, the cards are obviously still legal and extended. How different will it look? Who knows? Um... But one thing we've definitely learned about Extended is they have really shortened down the list of sets that you're playing with, but it still seems like the format that it used to be where players almost feel forced to have to play it and only really do it in the PTQ season where they are doing it. Um, Thusly, cards like Prismatic, Omen, Wargate, uh, Shadowmore, Eventide, Filterlands, Reflecting Pool, all those cards are really on the downswing. Um, It could be a good time to invest. Like a lot of times in the past, if I know I'm going to be playing extended for a while, I'll usually take the opportunity at the end of a season to try to pick up a lot of stuff that's going to be good in the coming season after there's another rotation. Um, it's been a little bit harder because, you know, the rotation times have changed over the years, the format has changed, what's included and what's not, and now we have this current shift. But we're at, a, we're at a place right now where legacy, or sorry, extended is is pretty set in its ways and it's pretty easy to see how things are going to go as far as rotation goes what's included and what's not so you could be one of those people to dump all this stuff like uh, so many players are doing right now causing the prices to go down or you might want to consider being an investor in the long term picking up these cards on the cheap and knowing that you know not even not even a year from now there's going to be uh, you know Grand Prix San Diego for everyone in California uh you know it, it's it's something worth possibly picking up to then cash in on again at the end of the year
1: I would say that lands especially, filter lands, especially those kind of lands would always hold some kind of value. And to get them literally half the price they were a month ago seems like a really good deal.
0: Yeah, there was definitely, you know, pre-Atlanta, kind of end of the calendar year when the pros had to play extended. Everyone knew it was the PTQ season coming up. These cards really shot through the roof. And now they've, they've really come back down with only a maximum of you know, 28 more days left in the PTQ, PTQ season for Extended. A lot of people are over it. They're done with it. They don't have another PTQ to play in. Maybe they have one more to play in. They know what deck they want to play, and they're ready to get the rest of these cards out of there and try to buy back their Jaces for Standard or whatever. Um, you know, there, there's, there's definitely that, that kind of same swing you, you see every season when a, when a format that players feel like they're forced to play is ending. So I, I don't think it's a bad I don't think it's a bad time to pick up Shadowmoor, even tied filter lands, slash reflecting pools if you know you're gonna be playing ascended or it's a format you like or playing it for a while. But if you are holding on to them, don't expect to be cashing out of them at full value in another month or two.
1: Then you have two cards left in the down cycle. Both were part of standard decks no more than
0: what, two and a half months ago? Um, I don't, you know, like larger wing conditions that just aren't that popular right now because of, uh, cards like sort of feast and famine. We've got grave Titan, who was kind of the backbone of the blue black deck at worlds. I mean, we all remember watching PV and, uh, Guillaume and these guys wield grave Titans all over the place. I, I guess I remember buying these cards during the course of world's weekend, watching them go up. Uh, and they've definitely, you know, sunk back down. It's, uh, I wouldn't say a sinking ship in the stock. The Titans are all very interesting to watch in their popularity, kind of go up and down and directly affect their value in, in competitive decks. The Great Titan, Titan is very much on the downswing. Um, if you can cash out them at like 15 apiece, I recommend it right now. I don't picture them having a comeback anytime soon. It's like any creature with a sword can block it. Obviously any creature with a sword can go right through it. Or Feast and Famine specifically. Um, it's just it, like, it's almost too expensive right now. I mean, if there are better options for control once you get control of the game. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it happening right now for Grave Titan. What about coming back an extended season? Or is it still going to uh, be too fast? I mean, if the aggressive decks are more aggressive, I, I see Worm Coil Engine being a, a better choice more often than not. Um, again, we don't know what the landscape is going to look like in a while. But I, I don't picture Grave Titan being the choice anytime soon.
1: Okay, and then you have Avenger Zendikar, which was very very popular.
0: Uh, you know, very similar to Grave Titan. This card is not kind of the secondary win condition for the Balakut decks that it once was. Um, you know, it used to be one of those things where it's like you have the blockers, and then the next turn you just kind of win the game. Again, with the sword decks, with the fact that seven is, you know, not six mana, which seems, you know, the cheaper, the the better in a lot of these circumstances right now, it's not in favor. I mean, the Valkyrie decks need to diversify not only their threats, but the way that they handle all the problems that are coming at them right now. So there aren't as many spots in the deck for as many copies of Avenger or even necessarily Avenger in general. So... It's uh, already seeing a decrease in value, and if the Valakut decks adapt enough to be able to deal with these equipment-based decks and these weenie creature-based decks, it, you know, a ones with evasion and a ways to get around you know insect or uh, plant tokens that come into play off of it, you could definitely see things uh, changing to the point where Avenger doesn't see play at all.
1: That was stunning because, like I said, just a couple of months ago, the Valakut deck with Avengers Zendikar almost seemed like it was hand-in-hand hand, what what it should have been. So it's interesting to see the changes. Now let's go to what to play at Friday Night Magic.
0: Well, obviously we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. Um, start with, with Jerry T's Cobb, Blade, and the Lightning Bolt deck. Um, it It's going to get the job done against a lot of those semi-mirror matches. It's going to make for a... Uh, more diverse, you know, like if you're going to play, you might see now mere matches of that deck, but obviously lightning bolts kind of change things up, and then the of spark mage plan out of the sideboard is one more one up to that. So that's uh, kind of the deck, deck, list choice of the week. I, see, I say go forth and forge it in your own way and make it your own. Well,
1: it would be interesting if we got some people uh, sending us some feedback saying they splashed black or, you know, another color in that deck to see if it would work make it work because i would love to see some deck lists for some people that have innovated Coblade with the other two colors like you mentioned earlier
0: i i think that i think they're all viable i think they all bring something different to the table and i think that really depends on you know, what do you want to do how do you want to do it what do you need to answer how do you want to answer it um and and you know black red or green is going to be able to help you with that
1: Well, excellent. Well, now we have a special coupon of the week this week. After all the work you talked about getting it done, you actually have it done today.
0: Uh, You know, I'd like to think it hasn't been that long, and I'd like to think that there are probably a few people out there listening from the far reaches of the planet. So for those international customers that I have so unfortunately snubbed the last few weeks, now this is not exclusively for you. Obviously, all domestic customers can take advantage of that, and Again, I don't want to have to single anyone out. So, you know, maybe one of these days when we do two shows a week and one in French or something, we'll have an international (laughs) coupon only and we'll have a domestic coupon. But this week, your coupon code of the week is international. You type that out at checkout if you spend at least $50 or more in Magic Singles. That doesn't include sealed product, again, because that can't go overseas. Uh, But if you spend $50 or more in Magic Singles, you get 10% back of your order in-store credit for use on your next purchase. So 50 becomes 5, 100 becomes 10, so on and so forth. We can do we can all do math regardless of what country we're in. Uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Go forth and coupon it up. Well, is there anything else you want to add this week uh,
1: outside of the big tournament going on this weekend?
0: Uh, we do, you know, like where to find Team Fireball. You can find all of the Californians. I don't know if anyone else is going to be able to make the trip out, but we do have the Chow Fireball Winter Series 5K at the store this weekend. Uh, it's a full weekend of Magic. Friday Night Magic is, uh, I think, free for standard, $6 for draft. We also have a last chance free entry qualifier into the 5K that will, first place, is awarded a uh, minty, minty, minty Mishra's Workshop that I really wish I could win myself, but I don't know if I'll, I'll have the opportunity to be there. Uh, Saturday, we do have the 5K event as well as draft challenges, and many other stuff going on during the course of the day. And then Sunday we have $10 seal deck. That is right, seal deck for only $10. Uh, and we close out the weekend, I think, with another standard 1 or 2K tournament that uh, has some other amazing prizes that I don't remember offhand, but it is a full weekend of magic in the Bay Area.
1: So when you're talking about the California Channel Fireball team, who exactly is going to be there?
0: Um, now the Ocho usually doesn't play in these events, but he usually tags along with Luis to critique. I think is the best answer. So Luis will be there. The Ocho will usually be there. Josh or Layton will be there. Josh Silvestri will be there. Obviously myself, I will be there. Oh, who else lives locally? I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm chilling it for people. <clears throat> many of our so many of our authors are people that I see so often. I, I just I remember the guys that aren't in town. But uh, there's there's a a quick smattering. U.S. Nationals champion and the Luis Scott Vargas, along with the Ocho.
1: Are you gonna? Are they gonna be doing any uh, one-on-one matches? Or are they just gonna be there? Uh, they'll probably be doing one? a
0: considerable number of one-on-one matches because they'll be playing in the main event. Oh really? Well, obviously, you, obviously. You let them play
1: in the main events. Let them. Well, isn't that kind of stacking the deck? Link, Link?
0: Uh, no, <laughs> I think Mana Weaving is stacking the deck. This is just uh, trying to have a competitive and diverse metagame and uh, and player base.
1: Well, there is one more note I forgot to before we end the show here, uh, and it will be up tomorrow, hopefully on Channel Fireball site. It's being sent out tonight. Uh, we did an interview with Gary Wise, uh, Hall of Famer, <laughs> uh, Poker Writer, has some fascinating thoughts on everything from magic to MMA to uh, a little of everything.
0: Well, you know, that sounds like an interesting one. Uh, Gary Wise, fellow Canadian. um, Yes. I, I, I respect what he has done, and I admire his work. However, I really wish I'd been part of that interview because in the past I have definitely taken shots at him and, uh, even though I didn't have the opportunity to apologize, I would like the opportunity to rub them back in because, uh, in years past he was definitely an inspiration to try to make the pro tour and do well because of some of the incredible mistakes that he made during competitive and pro play and definitely made me be like, you know what, I could do this. So, uh, Again, not not to take shots at Gary. He is uh, incredible at what he does. But when your opponent's at two, don't shock his opponent's creature. And uh, remember what your own Chalice of the Void does so you don't cast your spells into it. (laughs) He had a lot of fun
1: just talking about his life in general. And, you know, we brought up up a couple things regarding... uh, Because he was one of the uh, pundits against cheating back in the day. Mm -hmm. And... I guess the one thing that that he brings up in there that's a little controversial. I'll tease you all a little bit with to listen to his interview. Is basically he says that the players today wouldn't recognize the amount of cheating that was done back in the day.
0: Oh, okay. oh I I I know the legends. I know. I know the stories, I know the different tactics, the number of tactics. I knew that in the infancy of the Pro Tour, you couldn't win a match if you weren't cheating to a certain type of degree or a certain degree. Um, it's all there, and uh, I think I think the most important thing is to recognize how far the game has come, recognize the the, the level of attention to detail and the amount of work that the judge staff, at not not just the highest level, but trickling down, really does for this game and the integrity that it really places on it because it, it you know, it, in many ways, it's not a joke. It used to be the kind of the wild west of the pro tour, just the way games were played, the way tactics were used to manipulate every aspect of the game. And, uh, and again, I, I, you know, like I am so glad to be in a competitive Grand Prix pro tour draft event now, because I, I'm, you know, hundred percent certain that things are being run at the highest level. And, I can have confidence in, in, the, in the people around me, in the event that's being run, and know that it's fair. And uh, again, my, my hat's really off to judges in that respect. Whenever, whenever you remember you bring up just the way things used to be and kind of the, the standards that professional players, quote unquote, used to have for the game and how it was played and how far we've really come.
1: Well, it is. It was a great interview, and he was a lot of fun. And the one thing he will teach you right away is because he's done so many interviews is when you interview someone who interviews people kind of like yourself the interviews go real smooth and he can even teach you techniques while he's doing the interview so that's kind of interesting for people to listen to See to catch the techniques that he uses while the interview is going on to show you how to do better interviews so you being
0: a fellow Canadian,
1: I think you'll enjoy the interview a lot.
0: <laughs> I will I'll have to do him justice and uh, give it a listen because, uh, again, I, I've I've had I've definitely had him sign all the cards I can remember that he punted with, and uh, I, I'm glad to see his his succeeded in in so much. I will tell you, we
1: are going to have him back on again. So maybe the next time we have him on, we'll have to bring you in, just so you can sit there and say, "Do you remember this? Do you remember yeah, that?" Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, I assume we'll have a good sense of humor about it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. He definitely has a good
1: sense of humor about everything, and he has a lot of passions in this world outside of poker, magic, and everything else. It's like I said, he's. A wonderful person to deal with and another, I've already, we already did the interview with him and it was like, okay, when can we do the next one? So, but on that note it is an hour and we should... We barely uh,
0: made it. We barely we, made it. That was rough.
1: Well, that's alright. We'll give the people what they want. We wanted it done in an hour. We're going to give it to them in an hour. On that note, Tristan sign us off. Uh,
0: you can reach me at tsg at com with all your Questions, concerns, ideas, and pre-orders for Hardcast Scarves or ChannelFireball.com hockey jerseys, which I promise will be in the, I don't want to say immediate future, but uh, foreseeable, if nothing else. And, Robert, where can we find you?
1: You can find me at Robert at ChannelFireball.com, and you can also put me down for one hockey jersey. Yes,
0: yes, yes. You have to try to pick out your number now and whatever your tagline on the back will be. Some, will, some are very obvious. The Ocho, LSV, Woods, PV, and some are not so obvious. Like, I don't really know what it will say on the back of yours, but uh, think about it. I will do that. And on
1: that note, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.